Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to the podcast. We are, uh, it is official now, we are in summer in Chicago. There are lots of festivals going on, and our church is in a couple of different ones, including the Printer's Row Fest here in the South Loop part of the city. It's a great time to be here as a visitor or a resident, and um, so I hope you are well where you are too, and that summer is starting off well. We are starting a new sermon series, uh, speaking of festivals, called House Party, Extending God's Invitation to All, and so this will be a three-sermon series. Today we are looking at Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Let me read that for you as we reflect and think about what Jesus is saying to us. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the wedding streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. May God's reading and living out of this word be deep into our hearts. So if you are at all a texter, you probably know some of the common Acronyms that people use to shorten their texting, like LOL, of course, or OMG, or TMI. Uh, I have learned about one in recent weeks that I was maybe kind of familiar with, but not really too familiar with, and that is FOMO. That is the fear of missing out. And FOMO is really more than just an acronym, but it's also a state of being for some. There are There's a Wikipedia entry for FOMO. There have been articles about FOMO. Uh, it has become a, a almost a anxiety-producing dilemma for those who suffer from FOMO. We can joke about it. Maybe you're at home or you're at a party and you have a sense that something else is going on somewhere that's more fun and I'm unable to appreciate what's in front of me because of my anxiety about what else might be happening. But this also, I've been reading, happens to parents, for example, too. They are raising their child in a certain way. They're talking with other parents, and other parents are talking about how they are raising their children. These other parents may be doing more, maybe hiring tutors or coaches, or they're doing something different than what you are doing, and so you fear that you are doing it wrong, you're missing out. And so that brings you some anxiety and fear as well. So FOMO, fear of missing out. Somebody drew this to my attention again this week as we are reflecting on this sermon series about house party, extending God's invitation to all, particularly in today's sermon as we reflect on what does it mean to be a part of a party and you're not invited or to be a part of something and you're not quite there because your mind is somewhere else. What does that say to us about our faith 
and what does it say to us about how we share our faith as well. So let's take a look at this text from today, and let's acknowledge that sometimes I was at a conference this week, and we were doing a Bible study, and the Bible study leaders talked about the richness, of course, of the scriptures, but these are both uh, academics, people who teach at seminary, and they emphasized over and over, Bible study is hard. And it's true, because we read these words that were either written or said 2,000 years ago, and sometimes we miss out. And if we read it, it seems like something is not quite right. And sometimes when Jesus tells stories or parables, it's easy to get confused and easy to scratch our heads thinking, what exactly is Jesus saying here? Let's acknowledge first the challenge of reading the Bible, the challenge of scripture study. And let's also acknowledge that when different scholars and people who have done a lot of research and study of different scriptures, sometimes they don't always agree. So some people will look at a text and they'll think, well, it means X. And someone else will look at a text and say, no, really, it means Y. And that's the case in today's parable, today's text. Many scholars I read this week said that this is an allegory that Jesus is sharing. And allegory means that there is one word or characterization that's used. And it really means, it literally means something else. So, for example, some scholars look at this story that we read, especially when we read it, and there's some pretty harsh language in there. And if we have this vision of Jesus as as loving and forgiving and welcoming, which we should have that vision, but to hear Jesus talk in this way might cause us some confusion. Well, some scholars say that Jesus is speaking in an allegory. So he is using language, he is using metaphor, he is using symbols by telling a story, and these symbols really mean something else. So, for example, some believe that in this allegory that Jesus is telling, uh, or whether it is perhaps Matthew who wrote this gospel is speaking and trying to symbolize uh, something else, they would say that perhaps in this story that the slaves that we read in Matthew 22 really means the prophets that we read in the Old Testament, the Israeli prophets who would talk about and call out Israelites and say, you must stay faithful to God and to who God is. So here, some scholars believe in this parable, uh, they believe that the allegory that's being used is the slaves, those who are going out to invite others, really is biblical prophets. And that the first guests that are invited, these are the guests who turn down the invitation, these are Israelites and Jews who perhaps heard the word of the prophets and they didn't pay attention and they ignored it. And then we continue to read the story. Then we know later on the slaves then that the owner, uh, the king, goes and tells his slaves to invite everybody, both the good and the bad. And those who are the good and the bad, everybody else means the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And so perhaps this is speaking to what Jesus' message is all about. And it's a broader audience, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And one more thing, perhaps those who are not dressed, the one individual who isn't wearing the wedding robe, perhaps this means somebody who at the party. So again, some scholars talk about all of this as allegory, that Jesus is telling a story, but really the specific symbols, characters in the story mean something else. But when you keep reading around, keep reading other um, commentators and scholars, some don't say anything about allegory. I was reading a book this week by a 
Episcopal priest and writer named Robert Capon, a book called Parables of Judgment, and he says nothing about this being an allegory, and he really begins to unpack and get a sense of what Jesus was saying and how it compares to a similar parable told in the Gospel of Luke. So sometimes you read these things and you it can be both enriching but also a little frustrating because you want to know what's right. Well, it can be helpful certainly to do this um, digging and to really reflect on what Jesus is trying to get at, but we can't just try to figure out what it means historically. I think we also try to get at what does Jesus mean, but also how does this reflect on us today? What does this mean to us in our own faith today? So let's take a look at really what this uh, parable means to us in 2016. Well, you can probably guess that there is both grace in this parable, but there is also judgment. It's not hard to miss the judgment. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the grace because we may get caught up in the, some of the harsh language and we miss out on the grace that's here as well. So we have this king and he's throwing this big banquet and he invites some who are invited to this banquet and Interestingly, at first, they decline the invitation. They decline the invitation. Now, here's this first instance of grace. The king wants to go out and invite them one more time. So even though they've declined the invitation, some of us would probably say, well, forget you. I'm just going to invite somebody else. The king makes one more attempt. And not only that, but he goes overboard in telling all of those who are being who have been invited about what the party is going to be like. And he tells them, see, you don't understand here. I, I have prepared a dinner. My oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered. I have the best here for this party. And then the story, of course, goes on. And not only do they people uh, decline the invitation, but again, this is pretty harsh language in here. They seize the slaves. They mistreat them. They even kill them. And so we have some harsh language here of judgment for these individuals who have declined to hear this invitation. And today we might say this and think about what happens to those who don't hear or receive the invitation to be in relationship with God. I don't think perhaps, and I'll talk a little bit about hyperbole in a second. So hold that for now in this kind of very harsh language. But let's see, take another look one more time at where an instance of grace here as well. So after the individuals, the first invitees have declined the invitation, then the king says to his slaves, go out and I want you to invite everyone. I want you to invite everyone to the wedding. The good and the bad, the text tells us. So again, here's an instance of grace. First invitation is declined. King goes back and invites them one more time. And then when they decline that second time, then there is invitation to all. So I think in the midst of us trying to parse what the harsh language says, I think it's also important first and foremost to see that there is grace here in this parable as well. And for us to really reflect on that and sit with it and pray about it and get a sense of how can we receive and get a sense of what this grace means to us in our own lives. But of course, in addition to grace, there is also judgment and we can't escape that. It's important again for me to to note that Jesus sometimes, and he tells his stories 
uh, speaks in hyperbole, meaning that Jesus exaggerates in order to make a point. So a couple of examples of this. You may have heard of these passages before. In this same gospel, in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5, 27, Jesus says this, Everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Another instance of hyperbole. Jesus says, I tell you, it is easy for, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So here we see that Jesus employs certain types of speech in order to really make a point. So when Jesus is speaking to somebody about adultery and said, if you have looked at a woman with lust, tear out your eye. Do we think that Jesus really literally means that that should happen? Does Jesus really think that someone who is rich, it's harder for literally for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? I don't think so. But I do think that Jesus employs these types, this type of speech in order to really make a point, for people to sit up and take notice. Like, wow, I really had never thought about it that way. That lust isn't just how I act out, but it's also what my mind is thinking, that I need to pay attention to how I use my resources. Am I rich? And are those resources getting in the way of my faith in God? And here, in this story, we see a sense of judgment that all of us should pay attention to. Now, we also should note that uh, Jesus is speaking to a particular audience. And here he is speaking to the chief priests and the elders of the people. So Jesus is speaking to a certain segment of the population that he's already had conflict with. These are people, in a sense, some of whom think they know it all. And they're not listening at all. Their hearts are hard to what Jesus is all about. And in fact, they have made the faith hard for those others uh, who are trying to live this out. They have put on certain rules and regulations that Jesus interprets makes it even harder for them to live out the faith. So Jesus is telling this parable to that segment of the population. And so Jesus wants to really catch their attention and say there is going to be judgment here. And so he uses really harsh language in order to catch their attention. Now, do I think that perhaps that there is literally going to be people who will be uh, destroyed, murdered, weeping and gnashing of teeth? I don't think so. But I do think that we can't ignore that there is judgment. You know, sometimes people come to Urban Village and they say, I love that Urban Village, there's no judgment here. There's no judgment here. And sometimes that makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I think there is judgment, perhaps not in the way that we think about it, but we see things that are unjust. We see people who are treated unfairly. We see people who are at the margins whose voices aren't being heard, and we judge that that is wrong. We judge that that is not in line with what God desires for our city and for our world. And so we pass judgment, in a sense, in order to infuse a message of love and grace. So I don't think there's no judgment at Urban Village. There is judgment, and sometimes we need to really make a point so that people can sit up and take notice of their own lives, that am I receiving the Word of God? Am I living out the Word of God or not? So let's then think about how does this relate to me today? Well, I think we can think of ourselves perhaps as Are we receiving the invitation that God has for us? Are we receiving this invitation and what are we doing with it? Well, this invitation of grace, are we with the first decision that we might have is, well, we can say no to the invitation, like the first invitees to the wedding. We can say, no, thanks. I'd rather not, you know, hear the word of God. I'd rather not have that in my life. 
there's a really interesting story that I heard uh, a few weeks ago. I don't know how many of you follow soccer at all, uh, but uh, the English Premier League is one of the top leagues in the world. And this year, uh, Leicester City, which is a team in the English Premier League, which at the beginning of the year was 5,000 to 1 odds that they would win the title. So this is a team that never, ever wins the English Premier League. But this year, the hugest underdog in the world actually won. Totally changed, totally turned the English Premier League on its, on its head. And the story I heard was about a man named John Micklethwaite, who was, uh, is an editor at Bloomberg in New York. Grew up close to Leicester, was always a Leicester City football club, and every year would place a 20-pound bet on Leicester City to win their league. This year, he decided not to do that. Partly, he was moving from England to New York, and so he said no to, in a sense, that invitation to bet on his team. And the articles were about all that he missed out on, 5,000 to 1 odds. And so if you do the quick math, if you had but 20 pounds, that would be 100,000 pounds that he would have won, or $146,730. For this year, for some reason, in the midst of the movie, never thought about it. John Micklethwaite said no to the invitation to, to bet on his team, and he missed out on so much. There may be a different kind of illustration for us, but that's the choice that we have in front of us. We can say no to the invitation. We can say no to the invitation of grace and love that God gives to us. So we can also say yes to the invitation, but we don't really let it affect or change our lives. We could say, yes, I'm I'm a follower of Jesus, but we do that in name only. We don't really let it sink into our own lives. We don't let it change our our hearts, our minds, our behavior at all. We say we believe in God. We say that we're Christians, but that's about it, surface level. We don't let it affect the rest of our lives at all. So there's a every once in a while a group of dads that I know, and they get together for drinks or the, uh, they go out to smoke cigars. They had a cigar-smoking outing. And it's a good group of guys, but I must confess that at times when I go to one of these outings, I'm, my heart isn't really into it. And so I'm there in body, but I'm a little bit standoffish, to be honest. I don't really engage in conversation. I'm there because I think it's the right thing to do. I don't really let myself involve and engage in the discussion and what's going on at the time. Are you there so that sometimes that way sometimes with your with your faith? Are you there in in body only and you're not allowing yourself to really engage in in what's going on at the party or the gathering or whatever it is? Are you that way in your faith as well? Are you there in in name and body only but you're not really letting the faith engage and change you at all? That's one way that we can respond to the invitation. And perhaps that's one way we can interpret this scripture. There is the one man who doesn't have the wedding robe. I mentioned Robert Capon earlier, and Capon wonders if maybe the, all those who were on the streets and were invited into the party had the option of having a wedding robe there, because the king wouldn't necessarily expect that the people on the streets would have a wedding robe at the ready, and so maybe they were given something as they came in, except for this one man who decided for whatever reason, no, nah, I'm not going to really engage in what's going on here. So maybe this is the invitation, or this is the, what, how the man responded to the invitation. I'm here in body only, but I'm not really letting it affect me. I'm not really going to be a part of the party. 
And then finally, the invitation for us is to say yes to the invitation and then also to really be at the party, to really dance, to really eat, to really engage, to really converse, whatever it is that you're doing at this wedding party, this gospel party that God is throwing for all of us, an invitation that is extended to all of us, how will we respond? Will we say yes and then also will we really be there and enjoy and live into this party, however that is for you. We're not saying that you need to put a lampshade on your head and dance on the tables, but you're there, and you're engaging, and you're letting it affect you. There's a man who's been coming to our church in the last few months named Jim. Jim started coming when we relaunched our site at, back in the South Loop neighborhood, and he came one of the very first Sundays that we had relaunched. And Jim said he came and he hadn't been to church in years. Jim had been living in the South Loop, had recently been divorced, and just really wasn't thrilled with the way that his life was going. Something was, was missing in his life. The, the divorce was painful. He wasn't able then to, he had um, partial custody of his children, so he wasn't able to see them certainly as much as he wanted to. And so he was feeling lonely and, and anxious and just something wasn't sitting right with him. And so on a lark, he decided to go to church. And so he went to Google and found our church and came that first Sunday. And as he was sitting there, he said that something kind of happened to him. And the very last song that we sang on that day was one of his grandmother's favorite hymns. He grew up in in a faith, but hadn't, like I said, hadn't been faith or hadn't been a part of that uh, church for some time. But he remembered this song that his grandmother loved. And as he's singing this last song, tears are just coming down his face, which he said is just kind of unlike him. And as he's hearing this, something's happening. And he's figuring out that he wants to be a part of this gospel party. He wants to say yes, and he does say yes. He comes again and again and again. And then, not only does he just show up on Sundays, but he then begins to let that affect other parts of his life. He tells the story that he was having, talking to two friends of his in just the last few weeks who consider themselves atheists. And he was talking about how Urban Village and how he used to dismiss faith. And these friends of his, these atheists, I think probably were a little taken aback by, is this, this is Jim? And they live in the Wicker Park neighborhood. And so he told them, you know, you should... Go to church at Urban Village at Wicker at our Wicker Park site. And they were asking more questions and they became interested in this. He said it was a good conversation. And he started to tell more about the difference that his faith was making in his life. And he said he talked about his own his lack of faith that he used to have and it didn't help with his ex-wife. And he said that he have, if he had found God, he might still be married. He didn't know, but maybe. And so what I love about this story is that Jim had started to come. It was starting to affect him. And then he decides to really be a part of the party. And by doing that, he starts to extend the invitation to others. And this is somebody who just started to find faith again for the first time. And now he's going out and sharing this with others. Jim is really part of the party. And so I think that's what's before us today. That question, that invitation. Will we say yes to being part of the gospel party And will we let it sink in and affect our lives so that we are extending invitations to all, to all who are part of this world as well, so that they know that that invitation is for them too. Friends, what will you do with the invitation? How will you respond? Amen. 
Well, I appreciate your listening to the podcast and next week uh, actually I'm uh, taking a week off I'll be at our Wicker Park site next week and won't be preaching but I'll be back in two weeks uh, sharing some thoughts and reflections about this sermon series about God's invitation so until then uh, may the peace of Christ which extends to all be deep into your hearts and lives 